You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Most of you guys know, if you've been here before, I'm kind of a movie guy. You know, that's, that's kind of one of my deals. I, I'm not a big Oscars guy because I don't ever see any of those movies. I did see Black Panther. It's the only movie I saw. Should have won Best Picture. It's the only, you know. Pro- but, but I will tell you that uh, the old, olden days, the movies were a little bit different than the Oscars. The, probably, in my opinion, the greatest movie that ever won the Oscars, it's in my top three, uh, maybe my top movie, is The Godfather. All right? I mean, it's... If, you, if, you, if you're kind of a younger buck, you probably haven't watched any movies from the 70s. Uh, you should see that and Willy Wonka. Those are the two. Um, but in The Godfather, you have the story of uh, Don Vito Corleone, right? Marlon Brando. Um, and he, it's just really the story of his family. And, and re- what ends up happening, I'll give you kind of, it's been out for like 40 years. You haven't seen it. That's your problem. But what happens is he ends up getting shot. Uh, there's this, there's this the other five families, the Italian mafia, and he gets shot by uh, one of the families, and he actually recovers. And now there's this big feud going on, and that's when they have to go to the mattresses, right? Some of you've seen Sleepless in Seattle. That's from, you know, you've seen that. You haven't seen The Godfather. Go figure. But, you know, they go to the mattresses. There's this big feud, and what ends up happening is eventually the Don is going to pass his, you know, I was going to say ministry, but it's not really ministry. His, uh, he's going to pass on his, his kingdom to his son, Michael Corleone, right? And so he's kind of getting him ready. And then the Don dies. He has a heart attack. He dies. And, and all the other five families think, the Don is gone. Now we can, you know, he was kind of the big wig. Now we can kind of take over, right? And, and they think that they've won. They really do. And not only that, they have a mole. They have Tessio. They have a mole, inside the Corleone family, and they're going to set up this quasi-safe meeting, and at that meeting, they are going to eliminate Michael, and really, they'll really then have eliminated that whole family, and they'll be in charge, right? So they think they've won, but here's what they don't know, that the Don told Michael before he died everything that was going to happen. He tells him how he's going to be, they're going to come after him, when they're going to do it, what it's going to look like. He kind of unpacks it. This is what you need to look for so that when they think they have won and they, they, are, they think that they're going to take over, Michael is ready. And what ends up happening is this great scene. You can YouTube it instead of watching a three-hour movie. Is this great scene where you have Michael, who ironically is in church, right, uh, juxtaposed with like the assassination of all five of these men. And he's sitting there and he's before the priest saying, I believe in God the Father. Boom, Murder. Right, And then he says, I will renounce Satan and his works, and boom, and all five are taken out. They thought they had won, and they were vulnerable, and he moves in because he was ready. He knew the attack was coming, and he was ready, right? For us in the Christian life, when we know the attack is coming, how much more effective are we? When we are ready for it. And here's what, here's what you need to understand. When, when you are most vulnerable is when you have just won a victory, like Gideon. So my job today, I'm the Don. I am Don Guglielmo Fowler. Guglielmo is my Italian name, apparently. I Googled it. And I am going to tell you where and when the attack is coming so that you will be ready. 
right? And you are most vulnerable, understand, after you have won some sort of success. When you start seeing success, when you start seeing things go the way you thought that, that God was leading you to do, those are the times when you have to be most ready. And so as the dawn, I'm gonna tell you where the attack's coming so that you can be ready and not fall, all right? So we're gonna be in Judges chapter eight. And we've, we've been in Gideon a couple weeks now. We've introduced uh, him and we saw in the beginning he was this weak, hiding guy scared for his life, and God transforms him through his presence into this mighty man of valor. And last week, what we saw, as, as Clint unpacked it, was that Gideon was outnumbered 450 to one, that God purposely shrank his army so that he was outnumbered 450 to one, and armed with just basically a torch, a flashlight, and a trumpet, they surround the army of Midian, 135,000 troops, they smash their, their little jar that they're, so they could shine their flashlight. They blow their trumpets and it sends the Midianite army into a chaos where they just start killing each other. And Gideon and his men don't even have to lift a hand. And they, 120,000 of them fall. And then what ends up happening is the, the rest of the 15,000, they take off for home, right? They lived, remember, east of the, let me go to the next slide. Woo, there we go. Here's a little picture of Gideon. All right, so they're here. They go east. They all live down here in the desert. They head for home into the desert, right? They take off. And so what Gideon did is he calls all the Ephraimites. This is a tribe in Israel that live in the hill country. He calls them to come and guard the Jordan River and try to keep as many from escaping as possible. And so that's what they do. They guard and they catch uh, the two generals, Ziba and Zalma. Their names mean raven and wolf. Great general names, Right? And they, and they kill them, but there's still 15,000 of them that are on the run heading to the wilderness. But there's been this great victory. And on this victory, the enemy is going to attack. And he's going to attack in three common ways, same ways he's still attacking. They're, Satan's effective in his tactics, but he is predictable, right, as he tries to bring you down. Because he does not want you to be victorious. He doesn't want to see you have success. Spiritually, physically, anything. And so today we're going to talk about what those attacks look like so you are ready and kind of how to fight them, right? So we'll pick up in chapter one. That's where we pick up. Ephraim has stopped a bunch of them. There's still a bunch on the way. Verse one, the men of Ephraim said to him, that is Gideon, what is this you've done? Not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. And they accused him fiercely. Now, Ephraim is a pretty big deal in, in Israel, one of the 12 tribes, right? It's a pretty big deal. They came from the line of Joseph. He was a kind of a big wig. Joshua, he was an Ephraimite. Uh, they helped Ehud when he kind of fought his battle. They helped Barak when he fought his battle. They, uh, they weren't used to being ignored. They were a big wig, and they would tell you so. And they were a proud tribe. They're kind of like, like Texans. All right, where are my Texans in the house? Come on. Yeah, there, see? Texans are not ashamed to be in Texas, right? <laughs> and, and if you've ever lived in Texas, you realize why everyone loves Texas. I love Texas. I hate the Cowboys. I love Texas. Okay. <laughs> But Texans will tell you how great they are because you don't mess with Texas. Ephraim is like Texas. They're not used to being ignored. And they get in Gideon's grill and say, why didn't you call us from the beginning to fight the war? Why didn't you just call us? We're Ephraim. And they are mad. They accuse him fiercely. It's a very dramatic word in the Hebrew. Right? They're in his grill. So here's poor Gideon. He risks everything. He's going from scaredy cat to mighty warrior. But there, and, he's, and he's won this tremendous victory. And all this tribe can think about is, is us. Why didn't you do this to us? Notice twice in the verse it repeats itself. 
Why did, what has he done to us? You didn't call us, 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 us. These are the folks that want their name on the few. They're the, they're the ones that want to be on stage, right? And we can talk about their motives another day, but here's the first attack that you need to know about that will come, I promise. The minute you say, okay, I'm gonna get serious about my faith, or you take that risk, or you feel like God is moving in this direction, or you, you step out over here, the minute that happens, you start seeing some winds, what you can count on, like sand gnats on a March day showing up, is discouraging people. You can count on it, I'm telling you, right? One of, one of the enemy's most predictable but yet effective tactics, and you can just, you don't, you just read through the, the whole narrative of scripture, you'll see it. Moses, great delivery, takes the people out, crosses the Red Sea. What do they start doing? We don't like pastries, we want salad. We wanna go back, we want salad. Love radishes, right? Nehemiah, he's building this wall. They start making, oh, if a fox jumps on that wall, it's gonna fall apart, just mocking his work, right? The early church, things are going great, it's blowing up. And then you have this group of people, that, oh, our, our, our widows aren't getting fed like their widows, their widows get this and our widows are getting ignored and blah, 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 blah. Jesus himself, I'm going to the cross, I'm gonna die. Peter, no, you're not, you can't do that. Discouraging people, as soon as you step out, and maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's a spouse. You're like, I think we should really start doing this and doing that. Nah, that's dumb, right? Maybe it's a, 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 your kids are not as interested in spiritual things as you and then they just discourage you, right? Uh, maybe it's someone that says, every time you, you try to do something, you'll never be able to do that. You've tried that before. Failed every time. You got the B, they're saying you should have got a B plus. You won the silver, they won up. Well, I won the gold. Oh, I heard they did it like this. It, whatever it is, we've been there discouraging people. You can expect it, right? It will happen, right? And what makes it the hardest is it's typically friendly fire, isn't it? They, where are these attacks? This is his brothers. And we are, all of us, every single one in this room, we are more apt to discourage those who we are closest to, right, than we are and that's why it hurts so much. No one cares. I don't care if you boo my team, right? I know you're going to boo my team because we're going to beat you this year. That's just the way it is. All right, the Braves are going down. We got Bryce Harper, right? But I, it, it doesn't hurt me when the Braves boo me and do their little dumb chop that you stole from a college anyway. But when my own team, when, now we boo everybody in Santa Claus, but theoretically, it hurts more when my own people are booing me. Right, it hurts. That's what hurts, friendly fire. And sometimes it's unintentional, it is. Sometimes it's just, we all have done this, whether we're married, with our kids, we've said things, or we're too quick to speak, and we say something and we're like, it was super discouraging. So we've all been there. But we've also been, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's intentional, it's direct, it's someone's coming after you. And that's real painful, right? And so the encouragement for us, here's your lesson from the dawn, is it's expected it's actually normal, so things are not going awry, things are not crazy. If it's happening in your life, that means you are being a threat to the enemy and you should actually be encouraged because there's been movement and there's fruit when these things show up. So, so expect it. And the other side of that is not just expect it, is let's not be it. Let's not be the source of it. Let's, let's, let's do better by our, ourselves, right? Our words are super powerful. That's why James says that your tongue is a restless evil. It doesn't sleep. 
It's full of deadly poison, right? And so you, you gotta be on guard with, with, our, with our lips. And the enemy is great at, at death by a thousand paper cuts, right? That's just a little jab here, a little jab here. And so we just need to be on guard. Here's, and you can read the Proverbs, and there's so many Proverbs. Here's a, here's a great one. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. So if you got, you know what mama used to say, you got nothing nice to say, I'll say nothing at all. And that's not to say that there's not a time to confront and, and challenge. I mean, Jesus challenges the disciples. Paul challenges Peter when he's living in legalism. Some of us need to be corrected at some point. But some of us really believe that our, we have the spiritual gift of criticism. And you don't. That's not on the list. Read 1 Corinthians 12, okay? See, the, it's, 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 it's most sad when the church is tearing itself down. When we are supposed to be a people who stir up, not cause to stumble. Who, we are called to build not tear down. That's what we want to be. That's how you fight this. That's how you expect it, is that we are speaking words that build. So here's a verse. Here's your memory verse for the week, right? Everybody, this is your memory verse. If you don't know it already, Ephesians 4.29, right? Here's what Paul says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that may give grace. So there's three things in that verse. You gotta ask, before I speak it, before I say it, it's gotta meet three criteria. If you get two out of three, then you keep your mouth shut. Number one, it's gotta be building words. Does this build? Does this bring encouragement? Does this bring help? Number two, is it fitting? Does it fit the occasion? If someone just failed the test, and you said, well, you should have studied more. That doesn't fit. You tell them that the next day, right? After they're not discouraged already. Third thing is it gives grace. Does it build? Does it fit? Is there grace? And if you're like, well, it kind of builds and there's, well, there's no grace, but it's fitting, then you don't say it. <laughs> Write it down and send them a note right later. But if we would, if we would just kind of constantly think this way, and look, we're going to mess up. We are. But if we would constantly think this way in our families, in our, in our work environments, in our community groups, in our, with our roommates, whatever, I mean, we would be a, peop, a building people, would we not? And we would be, when someone does face that discouragement, we would be ready to say, hey, yeah, but here. Right? This is what, this is what we need to be. Right? This is how we fight it. How does Gideon handle it? He says to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grapes harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. He says, what does he do? He says, y'all, you, you guys killed the big dogs, right? You, what, I, I mean, you guys killed the generals. What have we done in compared to you? A lot, really. He took out 120,000. Yeah, they, they kind of got the generals, right? And there's a lot of ink spilled. If you listen to this preacher over here, he says this. You just be, some people say, well, Gideon was just being a good politician. And some people are saying, oh, Gideon did great. And some people are like, no, Gideon should have done this. The text doesn't make any judgment on Gideon, whether he was right or wrong, so I'm not going to make it. But here's what I do know. I do know that the Proverbs say, a soft answer turns away wrath. I know that. And I do know that the unity of God's people is more important than preferences and opinions and the way I would have done that and you should have done it like me, Right? I know that James says that those who divide 
and have selfish ambition, it's actually demonic. Right? So whether his intentions were right or wrong, what he does is actually effective. Right? And, and because look, discouragement from people that you care about is hard. And especially when you're right. I mean, especially when you're doing, I mean, Gideon is right. He has stepped out and done what God has called him to do. He is in the right here and he is being attacked for the way he did it. But here's the thing. It's really not about our rights. It's just not. Right? It's not about our rights. Nobody was more right than Jesus. Right? And he says through Peter, do not repay evil with evil. Or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. That's hard. So if you face this, let me give you two things to do if you do face this, okay? Number one, don't lash out. As much as you want to defend your rights, don't lash out. Peter says, because Jesus did it, you give a blessing. You're like, I can't do that. He says, you are called to do that. Wow. That's hard. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So ne- but see, next time someone's complaining, someone's, they're coming after you. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Instead of lashing out and saying, well, where were you when I did this? Right? Because that's what Gideon could have said. Where were you when I blew the trumpet? Where were you when I had my little flashlight? Where were you? Right? Next time someone comes after you, say, I appreciate that. That feedback's helpful. Right? Or... If they're saying, well, you know, uh, why didn't you do it like this? Or I I could have done better than this. You say, you know what? You're right. I should have asked you. Sorry. Right? Where are they going to go with that? Well, yeah, you should (laughs) have. Okay. What happens here is their anger subsides. He's he's burning coals on their heads in essence, is what Paul says. A soft answer turns away wrath. Right? I don't know if that was in his intent, but that's what happened. Look what, God, look what God did for you guys, right? Do not let someone else dictate how you will behave. Do, you, 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 do not let them do so, right? They can't determine how you're gonna act. So the first thing is don't lash out. Soft answer, bless instead. Second thing is keep your eyes on the battle. Gideon's still got 10, 15,000 folks to chase. He don't have time for this. All of us, if you're in the sports world, you as Atlanta Falcon fans know what happens when you take your foot off the gas, 2017 Super Bowl, 21-3 at halftime, all right? You know what happens when you take Tom Brady for granted, right? You go home weeping and don't make the playoffs the next year or be by the Eagles the next year. I'm sorry, yeah. That's what happens when you take your foot off the gas. Gideon does not take his foot off the gas. He keeps going. He doesn't have time to be distracted. Don't get distracted. Be like Nehemiah. Right? I, I have a great work I am doing for the Lord. I can't come down. It's, you, talk, hey, Satan, I ain't got time for you today. I got a battle to fight. Don't take your eyes off what God is calling you. That's exactly what he wants. He doesn't care how you're distracted. He just wants you to distract you. So you keep doing what God has called you to do. Boom. Discouraging people, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. Right? Gentle answer, stay focused. Don't lose sight of what God has called you to do. First lesson. First battle that's coming, whether you're winning, whether you're losing, discouraging people will show up, expect it, and don't be them, all right? All right, three verses down, we got 28 to go, Put, fasten your pew bell, here we go, we're going to move, and Gideon came over to the Jordan and crossed over, 
and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. I love that. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give you bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand. When the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with the briars. Nice. And from there he went up to Peniel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Peniel answered him, the men, him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Peniel, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. So what's happened is this. All right, so the, all the men have run across the river. A couple get through. First two towns when they come across the east, uh, the Jordan River here, is Succoth and Peniel. And he comes and he says, look, my guys are tired. We're weary. We've been fighting. Please help us. This is our enemies. And they basically say... Yeah, we think we're going to sit this one out. Because if you lose, we are the first ones that are going to get smoked. Because this is where they live. Where are they coming first? They're coming up. So we, we'll sit on the sidelines here. Or you guys go after that and go do that. Good luck. And so Gideon pulls himself an Arnold Schwarzenegger and says, okay, I'll be back. <laughs> all right? I didn't come through like I did on my slide. It looked better on my slide, but that's all right. All right. <laughs> That's the best creativity I got, y'all. I'm just telling you right there. All right. He, he says, I'm coming back. And so he goes off and he fights, right? And he's going to teach them a lesson. Let's look what happens. Now, Ziba and, uh, here we go. Now, Ziba and Zulma, and I can see better in the back, were in Kakor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the people of, of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers, east of Nabah and whatever, it's not Dagobah, but it sounds like it, and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and he threw the army into a panic, right? And then Gideon the son of Joash returned from the battle by the extent of Harry's and captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and the elders of the Succoth, 70 men. So he goes and he fights the battle, he captures the guy, he comes back, he captures the young man, and he says, tell me who your bosses are. And the guy writes down his, their names, and this is what he does. He came to the men of Succoth and said, behold, here they are. These are the ones you taunted me about, Zeba and Zamuna. Are the hands of Zeba and Zamuna already in your hand that we should go give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars with them and taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he brought down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the city. Things have taken a dark turn quick, all right? And, and here's, here's the second attack I want you to be ready for, all right? Because it's implicit in this text, and it's going to happen. Listen to the dawn, right? You got to be ready for disloyal people. There's going to be people who are disloyal, who are disengaged, who are fence-sitters. In the Godfather, it's Tessio, Right? He's going to betray. He's supposed to be loyal. We've all been on a, a sports team. Maybe some of you aren't athletes, but those who are on athletes, get this. You're on a sports team. You're working hard. You're doing the extra workouts. Coach says, go home this weekend and lift and work out. You go home and do that, and you got this other person on the team. They just don't. They don't care. And the game's tight. They don't care. They don't care if you win or lose. How discouraging to be on the team when you are giving your all, and that person doesn't care. Or you're, you're doing the project, you get the big deal, and you, you and your group at work are doing it, and this person never shows up, they're never on time, they have this little portion, 
Or you've you done it in high school. Okay, you, you know, high school projects, the worst thing ever. You do this part, you do this part, you do this part. These two do their parts, they get 100. This guy doesn't do his, he gets a 50. Everyone's grade, right? It's like they don't care. Happens all the time. Right? The hard reality is sometimes you're going to pour yourself out. You're going to be weary and tired, excited about things. You've taken huge risks, and there's going to be people who should be excited and on your team, and they're going to treat you with apathy, and they don't care. Right? So, you, so your, your spouse, and you are, you're at church, and, and one of you is excited about this. I really want to get involved in that. I want to do that. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Your teenagers are just, are, they're excited, some of you. I mean, we've seen this a ton. You're on fire, you got, you got saved through young life, and you're so excited about Jesus and what he's doing, and you're trying to invite your parents to church, and they're like, I ain't going to church. It's the one day I get to sleep, right? You're, you're, you're a college student, and you're, you're trying to invite some folks to, to, hey, why don't you come out to our Thursday night, man? We're going to have this great group. You and your roommate are thinking about it, and then you and your, your roommate's like, I don't really, really, I don't really want to invite my friends. But there's this great need, or you're excited about this one thing, and we got this great thing going on in the neighborhood, and come join us, and we need help. Or I need counseling, I need help, and, and people just, they don't care. Or maybe it's you feel like God has given you this huge kind of vision. You know, you're gonna, we're gonna move our family because God is calling us to go here and take this new position. And the people who should be super excited that God has spoken and, and, and directed you are, feel betrayed because you're leaving them. Well, you're leaving Savannah. I can't believe it. Right? And it's discouraging. Don't be surprised. Right? It's just one of the attacks of the enemy. And here's what we do do. We don't do what Gideon did. As much as I'd love to have a, a thrashing ministry at CBC, especially on days like today, if you don't show up for coffee ministry, you're thrashed. We take you out back. Don't show up for nursery, thrash them, right? Woodshed ministry, who wants to be part of it? As much as that kind of, there's something in there like, yeah, Gideon is not a model here to follow, right? He has crossed the line. And here's why. He's made it personal, it's personal now. It's now not about God anymore. It is about him, right? And, and we see that by what happens next. Look what happens right after this. Ziba, he says to Ziba and Zomuna, where are the men who you kill at Tabor? And they answered. And, and the word, this little sentence, where are they? He's saying describe them. That's the, it's, it's a Hebrew idiom. Describe the men that you kill at Tabor. They said, uh, as are you, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. He says, yeah, that's because they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. What we find out is these guys killed Gideon's brothers. And he's mad about it. And so he says, as the Lord lives, if you would have saved them, I would have, I would have not killed you. But instead, he says to Jethro, his firstborn, which is probably a 10, 12-year-old boy, he says, rise and kill him. Because there's this idea of blood vengeance. They killed your uncles. So you kill them, and it'll be humiliating. But Jethro's too afraid. He's still young. And Ziba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us. For as the man, so is the strength. And so Gideon smokes him. But the idea is, he, he is, he's mad now because these guys killed his brother. And this, these two towns, Succoth and Peniel, they are not getting on his side. And they're not helping him and his desire for vengeance. And so now, because they've gotten in the way, he is going to treat them harshly and cruelly. He is treating the very people of God like the enemies of God. Now, maybe they should have been rebuked whatever, but they should not have been killed, right? They should not have been killed. He let it get personal. 
And here's what happens if you let it get personal when you see this. Just, it's because it's gonna happen. Someone's gonna disappoint you. They're not gonna show up, intentionally, unintentionally. You cannot let your heart get calloused. Because when you do, you will start treating people harshly. You will start being judgmental. You will start looking down on them. This is a quick path to legalism. And so what'll happen is you'll be like, well, if they were more like me, they would do fill in the blank. If they, if they were a real Christian, they would read the Bible like me, they would be faithful like me, they would serve like me, they'd be giving like me, they'd be involved like me, but they're not like me, so they're not good. It's all about you, it's not about God, it's personal, right? And you become harsh. Well, I can't believe they don't do that. They went and saw that movie, I can't believe, and we become judgmental. The second thing that happens when we let our heart get calloused is we never show grace and forgiveness, and we're blind to our own issues, the issue, it's the irony here, is the issue that these two towns have and the issue that Gideon has are the same. They're both afraid, right? What, what is Succoth and Peniel afraid of? They're afraid because they're on the front lines and if, they, if Gideon loses, they die. If anyone should know about fear, it was Gideon. Three days earlier, he's hiding in a wine press. But he's so blinded by him making it personal, he doesn't see that these guys need grace just like you got grace. How much grace did he get? He got to make his little meal that got burned up. He got a fleece. He got a dream. He got all these things. God showed grace and grace and grace, and he just drops the hammer. That's what happens when you start making it personal, and you get a hardened heart. This is why this attack is so effective, because there's bitter people running around the church. And you'll sit on that side, because you know so-and-so may sit on that side. And you don't want to have to shake their hands when we do the greeting time and pass the peace. And it's going on all across the country in churches because bitterness is a hard route to get out. And so if you see this attack, like it's gonna happen. Jesus' own family thought he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. His friends betrayed him. The very people he came to save rejected him. There's disloyalty. It's gonna happen. By the way, you've been disloyal at some point and you've been disengaged at some point. And so just don't let it turn us bitter. We can't be a bitter group of people. We just don't want to be that, right? Just be ready for it. And the other side is, when there's a need, meet a need, right? We just don't want to be, we don't want to be the disengaged, the fence sitter, and the disloyal. So Jesus has gifted so many of you in so many different ways. Some of you, he's given five talents, and some of you, he's given two, and some of you, given one, according to the parable, and the, his desire is that you would take those five, those two, that one, and that you would multiply them. Not that you would go and dig a, gr- a hole in the ground and you put your talent in there to keep it safe. That you would just look, all you have to do, y'all, you don't have to go far, is look around what God is doing. And he is doing marvelous things everywhere. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. And there's hurting people, and there's confused people, and there's broken people all over. And all you have to do is lift your eyes for the harvest and see what God is doing. Look just in this neighborhood, South Gardens. And God is doing things. And you just need to take your talent and say, I'll do this. I mean, not everybody is called to pick up a sword and go after the Midianites. So this group was just called to give them some bread. All they needed to do was give them a sandwich. You'd think they'd be like, yeah, we got hoagies. Come on. Take a hoagie and a Mountain Dew. Go get them. That's, that's all they were called to do. Some of you, all God's called you to do is you got a little extra bread. Here's some extra bread. I got some bread. Right? I, can, I can provide for this person over here. I can do this over here. That's all. Some of you, maybe you are called to guard the, the fords of the Jordan. 
Or maybe the Fords is the, is the soccer team that God's calling you to coach. Or, or maybe some of you, it's to, to, to come in and, and work with CBC neighbors one day a week or one day a month, whatever you can. Or, or guard some of the kids, the Fords of our children's ministry. And God's calling you to do that. Maybe, it's, maybe your bread is, you know what, Just let me kind of give you some insight to the younger families in the church. Uh, for, for moms and dads who've got young kids that want to go on a date, that's like a $100 night. Just, just to give, give you insight. Because it's like $40 for babysitting alone, which leaves you either I'm going to Applebee's or, uh, you know, I'm going to spend $150. So maybe your bread that you could offer is, hey, I'm going to go and for, I'm just going to do it for free. I'm going to watch that young family in the church's kids just for one night. Let them go on a date so they don't have to go to Applebee's unless they really like Applebee's and then they're really weird if they do. But if they do do that, that's fine. There's better than Applebee's. Come talk to us. But maybe that's your bread. Or maybe you're not called to pick up a sword and go to war. But what you can do is you can go to war for your kids every day and say, I'm going to pray on Monday for this kid. I'm going to pray on Tuesday for this kid. I'm going to pray on Wednesday for this kid. And you're going to battle for those kids. Or maybe you're gonna, maybe your kids are gone and maybe you're praying for the grandkids or maybe you're just gonna pray for whoever and you can go to battle for that. There's, there's just thousands of ways. If we just lift our eyes, we can, we can be in the battle and be part of that. We just don't wanna be a church, y'all. And, and we're constantly fighting this because it's America. We don't wanna be a consumer church. We wanna be a, a, a church that gives of ourselves. Right? We're constantly kind of reminding that. Right? The church is not something you come and, and just sit and No, it's we're giving of ourselves, And it's not just Sunday morning, it's beyond. And so let's, the encouragement, the way we fight this is we're not consumers. We're gonna go and get engaged. So here's a lesson from the Don. Discouraging people, check. Sometimes disloyal people, check. Right? We be on guard for those things. Right? One more thing, and we'll close this out. Here's what happens next. The men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. You and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Right? This, they're asking to set up a Gideon dynasty. Right? You be our king, first king of Israel. You be it, and then your kids' kids, and then why? Look what they say, because you've saved us. Isn't this exactly what God said would happen? Isn't this why God shrank them down to 300 people so they would not say that we saved ourselves by our own self? Now they're saying Gideon. They've already lost sight of it. All right, so they're tempting him with, to be king. Look at Gideon says. Gideon said, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Yay, Gideon. You resisted the dark side, right? You, you, didn't, get, you didn't do it. But let's look what happens in the rest of the chapter real quick. And Gideon said to them, let me make one request of you. Every one of you give me from the earrings his spoil. Right? Remember when you conquer a nation, you take the spoil. So they all, had, they all had gold earrings because they're Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw in his earring of spoil. Sounds a little bit like he's taking taxes. I don't know about you. Let's see what happens. The weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels. That's 42 to 45 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. That's like Santa Claus bag gold, right? He's pulling. So he's got all this gold besides the crescent ornaments, which are gold, and the pendants and the purple garments. He's got the kingly garments now worn by the kings of Midian. And besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. That's a lot of camels now. And Gideon takes all this gold and he makes an ephod of it and he put it in his city. Now an ephod, for those who are unfamiliar, was basically a little vest 
that the high priest was called to wear. And it had the 12, the 12 stones on the chest representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It had these two stones on the shoulders that had all the names of the tribe of Israel. The idea was they were the go-between between God and man. They were the ones that were identified. You were identified as the priest from this ephod. And when you were ministering, you wore this ephod and you were carrying the, the people on your shoulders to God, the idea was. And that was supposed to be a Levite thing, not Gideon's tribe of Manasseh. But what he has done now, he's like, well, hey, God spoke to me in the past. Why should we go all the way to Shiloh where the tabernacle is? I'll make my own little kind of church. So now he's collecting taxes. He's kind of created his own little religion here, right? He's kind of, ah, pragmatism. Why should we go all the way there? We come to me. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. They raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons. Whoa. That's not counting daughters, y'all. Let's just say it's a 50-50 split. 140 kids. Let's just say he has half that. Okay, 105. For he had many wives. Wait, so he's taking taxes. He's making up his own religion. He's got lots of, he's got a harem. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son and he called him Abimelech. You know what Abimelech means? My dad is king. That's what the name means. So he's saying, I don't want to be king. But he's sure acting like a king. He's sure acting like it, taking taxes, making up his own deal, having a harem, naming his son, my dad is king. Right? What's, what's happened? Gideon has fallen into the third attack. He started reading his own press clippings. It's the attack of pride. And so here's the third, third thing to be ready for. He's got to be staying humble. Right? When, and especially, y'all, success itself is a great temptation. And you are never more vulnerable than after a victory. Because that is when you start to think, wow, look at me. I deserve to be a king. I sure saved the people. Look what I did. Right? And that's when we let our guard down. We start reading our press clippings. I've done this before. I can do this again. This is no big deal. This is why the scripture says, to him who thinks he stand, or to her who thinks he stand, she stands, take heed lest you fall. The more impressive the victory, the greater the temptation. And we've all seen it. We've seen it in politics. We've seen it in athletes. We've seen it in CEOs. Some big wig who is on the way up and crash and burn. I've seen it in the last four or five years in some of the big wigs in American Christianity, these massive churches with these, these leaders that are having great impact. I've seen four, four of them in the last four years crash and burn. Right, one just recently who loved his ministry, he listened to his sermons, a great guy in Chicago. And, and I've read all about it because every, and every single one is consistent. What happens? They isolate themselves. They don't start, they stop listening to people. They think the rules no longer apply to them. They start using people to make their lives better. And so these people are living lavishly well beyond everybody else because they deserve it. And, it, and it's, it's all because they've been reading their own plus clippings. Gideon, because of his choice, is going to devastate his family, we'll see next week, and it's going to devastate the people of Israel. Because never again in this entire book does it say, and Israel had peace. 
for 40 years. Israel had peace for 20 years. Never again. This is the last time they have peace. It's just chaos out of control. Last week, it was his weakness that made him strong. Now he's strong and he's never been weaker. Right? Last week, he's dependent and he's trusting. Now he's doing what he wants. He's basically living out every man does what is right in his own eyes. Last week, he was praying, God, lead me, show me. Now he's saying, everybody, come to me. I'll tell you what to do. This is why the scripture is just full of just verses about pride. And the only one you really need to know is God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's all you need to know. And so what we, how do we fight this? We cultivate humility in our hearts. We just cultivate constantly, cultivating humility. And I'm not talking about false humility. If God does something magnificent and marvelous and does something great in your life, I'm not saying, well, you know, I didn't, I, I just, no. I'm, the, I'm not talking about false humility. Celebrate that. Yeah, God did that. Great. Praise God. Look what he did. Right? So don't play all super spiritual. Oh, you know, not, not I. It was just all the Lord. Yes, God used you. And you can say, you can give him the glory. And still say, yeah, he gifted me to this and this. So we're not talking about false humility. But here, let me just give you just a couple things. Just to, let's just cultivate humility. Right? In our body, in our, in our people, in, in, in our, wherever we're at. Especially if you're starting to see some success. Especially there. Number one, ask for feedback from people. Hey, what do you think about this? What do, what do we do about this? Right? How is this? This is why we try to, as a church now, when we do something, whether it's a men's thing or a women's thing, we try to send out like a questionnaire like, hey, what was good, what was bad, how can we do better? Because we want to do better, right? We want to we improve, we want to be more effective. And so it's a humbling thing to ask, hey, how could I have done better? Tuesdays, we have a pastor's meeting where we kind of recap the sermon. And since I preach 38 times a year, I'm the one that gets recapped. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be the boss. Everyone slams Fowler for his sermons. <laughs> they don't. They're very gracious. But it, it's a humbling thing. It keeps you humble to be able to say, hey, what could I do better? It, it's a good thing to ask for feedback. Uh, here's another thing. It's just be good at listening. We're not good. I'm not good. Been reminded recently how lousy of a listener I often am. It's, it's, it's humbling to listen, and so it's good. Right? Here's another one. It's, it's serve. In obscurity, if, if, if you can. And some of you, uh, let people serve you. Some of you are like super servants, and you're so proud you won't let someone serve you. You know, that, that sounds, sounds kind of like backwards, but you're like, no, 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 no. You can't, no, 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 let me serve you. That's just false pride. Sometimes you need to be served, right? So let somebody serve you. But just, just serve other people because there's a way of, of putting yourself under, under, under somebody else. It's just it's a humbling way. Compliment others. Not to get a compliment back, but to actually say, thank you for that. That was awesome. If you have kids in the, and CBC kids, man, I'm telling you, they do a phenomenal job. They show up on time. They're there weekly. Please thank them. Hey, I appreciate that I can come and, and, and sing and worship right now because you are doing this and my kids are coming home and they're learning things and they're singing fun songs. Thank you for that. Thank Carol. Thank, thank her team, right, of Christina and all of them. That they just, they pour, they just thank people. Compliment, look for opportunities to do that for your kids, for your spouse. Thank you for that dinner. Thank you for this. It's a way to stay humble. Be grateful. Identify things in your life that you can thank God for. Just common graces. Here's the big one. Don't compare yourself to others. 
Just don't, because you'll find someone better than, I mean, worse than you, you always will. Yeah, yeah, I'm not as good as him, but I'm as good as so I'll, you know. So if you want to compare, what you do is you go to Philippians 2, and we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus, who did not regard equality with, thing, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking a form of bondservant. See, this is why we've called this, this series, Everyone Needs a King, because there's only one king that can do what we need him to do. Gideon couldn't do it. Samson's not going to be able to do it. Othniel, Ehud, all these guys. Unlike Gideon, Jesus had every right to be demanded to be served. And he spends his entire life on earth saying, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life. Jesus had, unlike Gideon, had every right to put on the ephod because he is the great high priest. He is the very presence of God. He is the very tabernacle of God. He is the very will of God, but he doesn't do that, right? Gideon does. Unlike Gideon, who doesn't resist the temptation to take control, Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan to take the nations now, to do it now, do it my way and not the Father's, he resists. That's what Jesus does. And unlike Gideon, Jesus, Gideon takes so that he can make himself some clothes. Jesus clothes us in his very righteousness. He, he, he gives that to us. That's the kind of king he is. So everyone needs a king, and he is the king that we need. And so if you're facing the I know you are. I know, I know some of you are super discouraged. And there's discouraging people in your life. I know some of you have faced disloyal people. You thought this person was your friend, and they abandoned you. I know you are. I know some of you are tempted right now to read. Things are going well. I'm looking pretty good. And so I would encourage you, this is the king you need to look to. This is the one you need to go to. This is the one you need to ask. Lord, I feel alone. I've been abandoned. And he says, I'm a friend who's kicks closer than a brother. He, you say, I'm just discouraged. And my, my parents keep doing this. Or my, my brother keeps doing this. Or my boss keeps doing this. And he says, I've given you my spirit, which is the comforter and the encourager. You're going to be okay. You're in a good spot. And when you're starting to feel a little, ah, a little higher than you should, he's there, hey, empty yourself. I'm opposed to the proud. That's the king we need, y'all. So we're gonna keep looking to him and we're gonna keep pressing on. Listen to the Don. Don Giglielmo Fowler. I'm not even Italian, even though I'm from Philly. Let me pray and we'll sing. Stand, please. Father, I pray for our church as the attacks will come and we know they will because you've told us throughout that we would just be ready, that we would encourage each other, that we would uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the person here today that's just, they're, they're just low, lift them high. Uh, for the person that's discouraged, just give them hope. For the person who uh, has been abandoned, let them be reminded that they are not alone. For the person who's starting to think a little high, highly of, the, of themselves, more highly than they ought, that they just be reminded uh, that you give grace to humble. That blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we just confess that you are enough, Lord Jesus, and so we want to sing and worship and reflect on this now. Uh, for your namesake, I pray.